That's the best hymn in the hymnal, if I may say so myself. Long before three toilets showed up on a selectman's lawn, the nearby town of Sudbury was in a crisis. Sudbury, who's heard of Sudbury? Okay. So, town-wide tensions had erupted in Sudbury across a surprising array of issues from the handling of a murder at a local high school to a task force that was convened to review the town budget to the tenor of the arguments on an anonymous comments section of the local online paper. So everywhere that a decision had to be made, even a regular standard approval of some road repairs, the same tensions erupted in the form of vicious personal attacks, silent treatments, name calling, and this ranged from the annual town meeting to the selectmen's meetings, all the way down to neighbors passing each other in the street or in the grocery store. So in the spring of 2014, two springs ago, things got very nasty uh, when uh, there was a contentious selectmen's meeting. And hence, after that vote, on one selectman's lawn appeared three toilets as a kind of threat or prank. We don't know. So last spring, uh, the local clergy association, the Sudbury Clergy Association, called the Harvard Negotiation and Mediation Clinical Program at Harvard and invited us, I was in the program at the time, to do an assessment of what was going on in their town and what they could do to help. So a law student named Jia Yun and a divinity student named Shannon Fong, that's me, <laughs> uh, were assigned to the project and we got to work surveying and interviewing different residents in the town, uh, parsing together old articles in the newspaper and just learning as much as we could from the clergy. And what we found was that the town was divided into three sorts of narratives. And as I describe these, I wonder if they're familiar to you. So one narrative was fraught with anger and pain. And I'll, I'll call this Sally's story. So she says, we're frustrated. Uh, we want to be heard. We want to be included and informed in the decisions that affect us. But we've just been shut out of the process. And so often, these residents, like Sally, had just come out of events that were extraordinarily disconcerting and difficult, such as the murder at the local high school. And so many of these residents ex expressed a need for connecting, grounding, closure, something. They were reaching out for something. But what they got instead, Sally explained, was unexpected. We were silenced, she said. Town leaders dismissed and regarded our efforts, or disregarded our efforts to connect, and we felt unheard and unwelcomed in the entire decision-making process afterwards. And what's worse was that they were treated, that we were treated completely unfairly. Um, others who were in the inner circle of that clique of people who made decisions uh, were able to speak at town meetings, had to take as much time as they wanted, but we, we were put under time constraints, we weren't invited to meetings, uh, and people just wanted to exclude us from everything. 
so Jiayin and I, uh, you know, clearly we were moved by these stories of uh, of these residents of their pain and their suffering and their alienation, especially through the, through these traumatic events, in the face of what sounded like extraordinary or exceptional uh, exclusionary team or town leadership. So at the same time, we started hearing another story, another narrative from residents, and one was one which was also laced with pain and anguish. Uh, I'll call this Bob's story. So Bob said, we were hurt and bewildered. Uh, we wish the town could collaborate like it used to, reasonably and amicably, uh, like we've done for many, many years. And so residents like Bob related their experiences of being personally targeted for bullying by other residents where they felt personally maligned and attacked. And it wasn't just them themselves, it was also their children who had been demonized, uh, called names, ostracized, and publicly embarrassed. And what was worse was that many of these residents who were experiencing these, these events uh, had worked humbly and worked hard in many cases for many years to contribute to the Sudbury community, all for very little appreciation and recognition, and now suddenly rewarded only by insults and explosions and anger. We are so, so confused about why people treat us this way, residents like Bob told us. They had tried as hard as they could to be inclusive in their decisions and do the best for the town, and no matter how hard they attempted to communicate and relieve the tensions. They had been rejected, they'd been rebuffed, their words had been twisted around and, and spread into gossip systems, and so now they had just given up on trying. So Jiayin and I, at the same time as we were hearing the former narrative, couldn't help but also be moved by these stories of pain, suffering, and alienation in the face of what sounded like an exceptionally angry group of troublemakers in the town. We also heard a third narrative, and I'll call this Judy's. She said, we are saddened and embarrassed for our town. How did we get to this point? These residents uh, expressed heartbreak and confusion over the divisions that had erupted, and they were worried for the town's future if they couldn't even make decisions that were so small and so insignificant. How do we help? How do we get out of this? People like Judy were asking. So there were three narratives here. One was Sally's narrative of frustration, not being heard, uh, exclusion. And then there was the narrative of Bob, who was confused and shocked and hurt by uh, rhetoric and, and uh, events that seemed to target him and his family. And then we saw Judy, who was hurt by the way that these relationships in the town seemed to have frayed. So when Judy asked, how do we help? It was really hard to say. The two narratives of hurt and anguish, Sally and Bob, seemed to have fed on each other in a cycle of self-reinforcing escalation, causing the tensions to kind of build and build and build. So 
to illustrate this. So Sally would be concerned about an issue or a process in Sudbury or in the town government, and it's deeply frustrating to her. Uh, it's affecting her life in some way and getting in the way of what she hopes to do. And so she would raise the concern to Bob with the intention that something get done about it. So she would say, Bob, the town has got to get something done about the so-and-so. But what Bob hears is something very different, especially given their past history in the town. Because he knows Sally dislikes him. He knows Sally kind of ha hangs out with different people. So what he hears is, Bob, you've got to get something done about that such and such. Bob, taken aback by Sally's assault, then doesn't know how to respond. So he feels either the need to defend himself or if he's kind of a more shut down kind of person, he disengages. So he either disengages, so walk away, not respond, or he defends himself. Sally, I can't do anything about it. It's not in my, you know, portfolio of things that's in my power. I, you know, there's nothing I can do. After all, he, he's thinking to himself, he's not a dictator and these problems just can't be fixed in a day. If it's such a big problem, like, Sally, you can't work with us here. Help us come up with a solution. So that's what Bob says in his head. But somehow, what Sally hears, given their relationship so far, is, Sally, there's just nothing I can do about it. And so Sally takes this as yet another example of how Bob continues to ignore and dismiss her and that just leaves Sally right where she started. And she's still concerned about the thing that she brought up in the first place. And yet Bob has just ignored it and probably not even heard her. And in fact, was trying to silence her. So Sally has no choice but to make a stand. So she brings it up again, a little bit louder this time. In fact, she gathers a few more of her friends on her side. And she takes the social media and the town meeting and builds a group of people. And now Bob, now his peers with him too, see this. And they see all these people showing up at the meeting with their kind of glowering faces. And they see this as a, an attempt to intimidate them. And Bob's like, why are they so angry? Where did that anger come from? And then he begins thinking there's something wrong with Sally and her ilk. They're just kind of irrational. Uh, there's something about uh, the politics or there's something about what someone is teaching them. And so he does what any rational person would do. He doesn't buckle down to the intimidation. He's not falling for that. And in the first place, remember, it's not something Bob can fix himself. And after all, he's not going to take this kind of behavior from him, from th those people from Sally and her ilk. So Bob says, in a polite way, he thinks, we'll get to it when we get to it in the proper way through the proper process. Let's have a rational discussion about this. Now, Sally, that's just the last straw. Bob is dismissing her once again, pointing her to some process somewhere else in a proper way, like she's bringing it up in an illegitimate way, like her voice is not included. Let's have a rational discussion. Suddenly, Sally's irrational. 
So Sally has no choice, not being taken seriously, and as if, as if this is Bob's town to run in the first place, so Sally's done. She escalates even further. If they're not going to listen, I'm going to get louder. Bob hears this again. They are so angry. These are, these are crazy people. Why can't they just calm down? I'm not going to reward this. I'm not going to appease this incivility. And Sally's incivility, Sally thinks, the gall trying to silence me with the accusation that I'm uncivil after he ignores me for all this time. So Sally has no choice but to get louder. There's no choice but to put pressure on Bob and his ilk. And then Bob, of course, becomes more disengaged and more defensive. Sally gets louder. Bob gets more disengaged, defensive. Sally gets louder and so on and so on. I call this the Sudbury cycle. Okay, so I don't want to make too grand a claim, uh, and my partner Jiayun Yoon thought I was making too grand a claim about what was happening in Sudbury. Um, but I think, I think there's something there. The world is complex and all that. There's m many factors to many things. There's lots of dynamics, and there's definitely issues of uh, inequity and um, unequal access to certain resources and certain channels of communication. And I think that in my years of practicing conflict resolution so far, I swear that I've seen the Sudbury cycle at work in all sorts of contexts, in town politics in Sudbury, within comp companies that I've worked with and helped, within families, and also within churches. And in 2016, I also swear that I've seen it in the presidential nomination process. I, I think it's there. I think it's there. Because in the movements behind both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders, I can't help but hear and see the hurt and the anger of Sally behind some of this. Grievances stemming from deep personal wounds, painful experiences, hoping for connection, and yet met instead with shaming or the feeling of being shut out or the feeling of being silenced or the feeling of being ill-equipped to participate in a type of discourse and a type of process that they see as exclusionary. And in the response of many Americans who are surprised to have suddenly found themselves among the ranks of the establishment, I can't help but also sense the confusion and the shock and the temptation to dismiss such disaffected, quote-unquote disaffected, countrymen as uncivil, irrational, crazy. Again, this is a simplistic analysis, of course, and one that mainly takes into account the communication system without saying anything about the actual issues themselves. I do have opinions about those. but. I think that the communication is important. You know, obviously there are deeper factors at work, but communication is how these differences get resolved. And in the United States of America today, it feels like it's breaking down. And it's kind of scary. We've, like Sudbury, we've lost our ability to approve a simple road maintenance like Sudbury, I think our nation is in a crisis.
So, what, if anything, can we do about this communication cycle, the Sudbury cycle itself? How do we put a kink into this vicious cycle that keeps on going round and round? There's no simple answer, and I'm not going to give you one, unfortunately. I will admit that I had grand plans for this sermon, some grand Memorial Day treatise on war and peace. Um, the song I sang earlier was Panis Angelicus, Bread of the Angels. I wanted to make some kind of case about how peace was the way and that in scarcity, if you cooperate with each other, then bread from the heavens will come down and you'll all be able to eat manna for breakfast. Um, I wasn't quite able to get there, and I also feel that we've heard this message a lot. I agree with it. It's peace is good. Cooperation is good. Excellent. And I think the responsive readings and the call to worship and the hymns, I think that they count as good reminders. Okay, so that is settled. <laughs> you already know that. So in place of kind of a grandiose claim about war and peace, and just war theory and things like that. I just have one tiny, tiny little humble request. And I think that all of us here today at First Parish can try to be leaders in this. Please, please don't unfriend your Facebook friends that you disagree with. Please, please stay at the dinner table with your crazy uncle and your ridiculous aunt. Please. And please don't quit that club or group or association just because your political beliefs or whatever beliefs don't exactly fit. I need you there. We need you there. They need you there. And I would argue that our UU values need you there. The first principle tells us that each of us is imbued with inherent worth and dignity. Each individual qualifies in and of him or herself to be worth something. And I will ask you to remember the first principle when you're in these challenging situations. To think, what in this person is worthy of respect and honor and dignity? And how is that person's ideology separate from that worth? Connect with that, please. Call on the third principle to practice what we try to practice here in First Parish. The third pr principle calls for acceptance of one another and encouragement to spiritual growth in our congregation. For thousands of years, there were religious wars based on differences of opinion and differences of belief in the nature of God, in the nature of revelation, in the nature of religion. Here at First Parish, here in our Unitarian Universalist tradition, we've achieved kind of an amazing thing to bridge those gaps that have been open for centuries and centuries. And so I would ask you 
the same way that we can have a dialogue between a humanist and a theist, an atheist and a Christian, can we have dialogue between people who have different political beliefs? Where do we draw that strength from? And can we harness it and staying engaged and in relationship with the people we might disagree with? And then finally, I would call on you to use the seventh principle to help you remember that we are all part of an interdependent web of existence. This November, a good number of us may be oriented towards the defeat of a particular candidate in the presidential election. My question to you is, even if that defeat happens, what happens after that? We continue to be in a nation where we continue to be in relationship with each other. We just have no other choice. We live and share and breathe the same air and the same land. And we have to figure out a way that the relationship continues after the conflict. So let's remember that before and after November, we're all part of an interdependent web of existence. And that's just going to be a fact. So let's make that easier for us earlier and sooner. So what does that mean? There's lots of things you can do in these dialogues. And there's a lot of skills that I think are useful to pick up. And I would encourage you all to attend the June 11th conflict capacity training here at First Parish. And if you haven't heard of it, please be in contact with me or somebody. Um, a lot of people in leadership positions have received my email blasts. So please find out more about that. One place to start, even without attending that training, is just to listen. Listen. And listening is so hard. It's not the same as listening in a pew to somebody talk and just kind of receiving it. Um, it involves more. It involves leaning in. It involves acknowledging your emotions and still finding a way to make the words reach your brain and your heart. If you're frustrated, listen more. If you're annoyed, listen more. If you're angry, listen more. Receive it into your heart. Make it work in your brain. Paraphrase. Do I have this right? Is this what you're saying? Ask questions. Could you please tell me more? I don't get it. How do you account for such and such or so and so? Try to get what they're saying and repeat it back to them. Engage. Ultimately, in Sudbury, it was the Sudbury Clergy Association, formed of religious professionals who are Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, Unitarian Universalist, who were the ones who initiated this outreach to the Harvard Negotiation Mediation Program. 
and who started the cycle of a little bit of healing and rec uh, reconciliation, who started the process of listening, and who started the dialogue to begin breaking down the Sudbury cycle. So here at First Parish in Cambridge, as a faith community, I would like us to be leaders in doing the same in all of these dialogues that we have. It will take some courage. It will take the faithful application of our Unitarian Universalist principles. And it will take some skill, which you can develop at the June 11th conflict capacity training. And this won't fix everything. It's just the beginning. And I'm sorry that on this Memorial Day, I wasn't able to give my treatise on war and peace. This is just a small part of what that means, of what peace really means, about what a just peace really means. But there is one thing I know, uh, and there's one thing that I would really like you to take away, which is that I'm pretty sure that in every case, listening will help. So let's be leaders here in our community, in our homes, in our families, on our Facebook pages. Let's be leaders in listening. So please stay engaged. It will do so much. I need it. We need it. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be.